This is the Medical Republic podcast. I'm Francine Crimmins. And as you know, it's election season for many medical organisations and the RACGP is just one of them. So in some of our episodes, I'm catching up with candidates vying to be the next college president. This episode, I'm joined by one of those candidates, Dr Magdalena Simonis. Welcome to the show. Hello, Francine. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. So there's certainly some big shoes uh, left to fill, especially after a loved present like Harry Nesplen. What are the, some of the most important skills or experience you would bring to the role of college president? Mm. Well, I have a deep and diverse involvement with many sectors of the RACGP and I've had a, and I still have a lump, number of leadership roles in an array of community organisations. Uh, I've endorsed, uh, I've been the endorsed RACGP representative to Australian Senate inquiries um, and I'm already working really hard for GPs and advising and working in teams and refining documents for the RACGP. I've been doing that for about 20 years. So uh, one of the other strengths I have is that I actually have taken the GP outside of the consultation room and I've advocated for the role of the GP whilst building relationships with stakeholders and government and policymakers. So often I've found myself the only GP at the table and not even as an RACGP rep. So I've found that uh, my engagement there has helped them co-design their health initiatives uh, and I've forged mutually beneficial relationships, but it's also put the GP at the centre of the primary care model that they've actually got got it. They've understood how important we are and how central we are to uh, to the health of the nation. And is there anything with the RAC GP that you see as maybe problematic at the moment that you think you could fix within your term? Well, I think that a couple of the things that RAC GP have actually sort of comments that I've received and heard from from members is that they feel that RACGP doesn't necessarily keep them abreast of discussions on advocacy level at the time that they're happening. So where is RACGP, for instance, I've been asked when these decisions such as the uh, MBS item number changes for the ECG or uh, how how is it that we find out after the event or when it's imminent that the change is occurring and it's going to be to the GP disadvantage. So I think that it's not that RSHGP hasn't been involved. I think that it's also that GPs aren't aware of what's happening at the time. So I think that um, that sort of transparency is really important. So GPs need to feel that RACGP has got GPs' backs And uh, that also means that uh, when we represent, when the college represents GPs, we really need to be taking the voice of the GP to that discussion. And unless we engage our GP members uh, uh, in a member-centric way, then we aren't seen as doing that, even though behind the scenes a lot of hard work is being done to actually represent GPs in the best possible manner. Yeah, and as you've already mentioned, you're a clinical GP who works in Melbourne um, and you've also held a wide range of positions in the RACGP and on other boards as well. Do you have a view going forward of whether there should be a particular focus on one of the three, whether it's uh, political advocacy, education and training or governance? Do you think that there needs to be one that takes the most focus going forward for the college? I think they have to happen simultaneously. 
and in equal importance. If you take your sights off political advocacy, uh, you know, we will experience similar similar issues as we just have with this Medicare uh, task force reform issue. Uh, we'll also have issues such as the Medicare rebate freezes. So we cannot take our sights off political advocacy. We have to be in the ear of the, uh, of the health minister and of governments uh, in state at state and federal levels. I think uh, one of the things that COVID has also exposed is the weak points in the entire health system. So that also draws upon the importance of things such as our training and uh, and 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 education programs. So not just training of our GP registrars, but also keeping our own uh, members up to date with the latest in developments. So our training and education are really important too. Absolutely. And the next couple of questions that I have are probably the most popular ones that our readers and listeners have been asking us uh, to ask the candidates. The first one is, how will you ensure that the college stays attractive or becomes more attractive to members in the event that the CPD home legislation passes? Mm, that's a really important one because, I mean, what we've got to understand why, why this has been changed. Uh, and one of the things that um, it has done is it's actually re, it's actually addressing the fact that the GP is now seen as a specialist, uh, which um, you know vocational registration implies, but GP specialist is actually the term that they refer to in the Act, the Health uh, um, uh, Act that is being reviewed. Now, in terms of making it more attractive, I think that what we need to do is that we need to make sure that the CPD. Uh, uh, development, uh, professional development requirements can actually be more flexible and that we they require less administration and that GPs can actually up, update the system without the hassle that we've had to date. It's actually been pretty difficult for uh, specifically for GPs who take initiative and do different things. So it, being constrained by a set uh pro forma uh, approach to education when you've had many years of experience or you're delving into new areas that are uh, really going to enhance your own experience as a GP, I think they need to be looked at. And I think that RACGP has the capacity to include that aspect. And the other hot button issue is about telehealth funding. Um, do you have any ideas on how you might uh, keep or advocate for the telehealth funding to remain in place after September? Well, faced with the current facts, we've got community spread. It exists and we don't have this under control in Victoria and it seems like we're still having to put out, you know, COVID uh, clusters in other states. So the risk and the, the has not gone away and COVID is not going away. So we need to learn to live with this for several months and even years until some effective treatment or vaccine are available. So the core instrument needed to reduce community spread and yet be able to deliver ongoing health care for other issues such as, you know, mental health and chronic disease has been telehealth. So it, we also need to protect our doctors. So government needs to understand that in order for our doctors to protect their communities and families and deliver the health care that is, is required, that uh, it's telehealth that's going to be um, the tool that, uh, that enables this to continue now, you know, it makes absolutely no sense to not extend telehealth beyond September. 
And even beyond the COVID, I think what COVID has done is it's actually exposed, again, the weaknesses in our health system and how ready uh, our patients and our doctors have been for this particular uh, tool to be used as a means of delivering health. Absolutely. And I mean, in recent weeks, we've seen the tightening up of those item numbers as well, which, you know, indicates that there will be funding after September as well by making that criteria a little bit stricter um, Mm. about access to those numbers. Yes. So another important part of the job of RECGP president is great lobbying power for general practice in Canberra. Do you have any concrete steps that you would take to improve the lobbying power of the college? Well, I've had a fair bit of experience in the, at, at this level in other areas with other organisations that I've had leadership roles with. So I'm rather comfortable with it. So firstly, I think you need to feel comfortable stepping out and having these conversations. Fundamentally, it, the important thing there is to make the introductions with the current ministers and government and build trust and partnerships. You know, a key aspect of this, I think, is to acknowledge that the four pillars of the National Long-Term Health Strategy have actually been established. And we need to pick up where Harry left off on this, you know. Um, We need to partner in achieving their goals of a healthier Australia. And we need to address the imminent pig in the python of an ageing population with multimorbidity. Um, And this is a shared responsibility. It's not just theirs. It's not just ours. We're not going to be doing it differently. We're going to be doing it together. And I think that in that discussion, they need to also be helped to see how the primary care sector is diverse. There are many players in that horizontal platform, but it's actually not a horizontal platform at all. GPs are actually the only specialists in health at the primary care level. And we play, we all play our role in longitudinal care of a patient, but the specialist in health is the GP. So we need to keep emphasising that. And in partnership we, with the government, we will help them realise that it's a joint effort to improve health outcomes. It's not either or, and it's not fragmentation of the primary health care sector. It's actually giving due uh, funding to support the GPs to undertake the care and deliver the health strategies that are required to achieve the outcomes that that we will want. And I think that you've just made a great point there about shifting those focuses. I know that some members are somewhat concerned that GP sector also has kind of played second fiddle to pharmacists in Canberra for what seems um, like quite a long time. Do you have any thoughts on on that relationship? Well, I do. I think that we need to emphasise the fact that they're, they've actually never had primary care training in the way that we have. They're not specialists in healthcare and that they are actually, they have a mercenary interest in taking uh, part of that uh, sort of responsibility because they are actually salespeople and they promote products that are not evidence-based. So it's a, it's a complete and absolute contradiction to the standards that we set as GPs. We do not sell things that are not evidence-based. We do not sell drugs. We do not manufacture products that we then market and, and spread to our, to our patients. We are independent of that process and there's a very 
strong and clear reason the government keeps telling us we can't do that. So we don't have a conflict of interest, whereas pharmacists do have a conflict of interest, and theirs is purely mercenary and pecuniary. And the last question would be, what is the main message for your campaign that you'd like to tell Australian GPs? It's to get GPs at the centre of the primary care model and to actually make sure that we are remunerated adequately and that we don't burn out whilst we're delivering the excellent healthcare that we are to the nation. The other thing that we probably need to focus on is the opportunity really for innovation and, and uh, in RACGP and at the digital level, which uh, that's, I mean, of the, my three points, the first one is obviously putting GPs at the centre of the heart of the primary care model. And the second one is to make sure that RACGP has got GPs back, backs. And the third one is actually to introduce innovation and opportunity to its members and, uh, and the profession. So I think in a nutshell, it's those three, three items. Can I ask what would be the most significant challenges that you see as pushing an innovation agenda as the college president? I think it's the perception of what innovation means and I think that we need to have a discussion around what that really uh, entails. And I've, I've discussed that in my in my candidate statement and on my uh, and in my website. I sort of outline a rather clear process whereby innovation requires real time analytics. And one of these things is uh, COVID has has indicated to us how important it is to be able to track uh, what's happening, track what we're doing and also translate that in a language that we can then use in our conversations with government about our efficacy and our agility and our ability to respond to problems in an urgent manner. And that really uh, highlights how central we are to the healthcare system Um, because I think what we've all experienced during this period is that the overall perception we had as GPs in the front line was that the government focused so much on hospital doctors and, and nurses within that system, within the tertiary system, that they actually overlooked the role of the GP. And had that actually been addressed and supported in, an, in, a, in a fashion that, uh, you know, uh, encouraged us to, uh, you know, feel more confident in what we were doing, that we had a single source of truth and a single message that was being delivered to us, that we had adequate protection, uh, PPE, uh, and and adequate uh, support for our um, to make our practices sustainable um, during that transition, I think that would have made a very big difference. Yeah. Dr. Simonis, thank you so much for your time and for chatting to me. Thank you, Francine. It's been a pleasure. And what I'll do is, if anyone is interested, I'll also link to Magdalena's website with this podcast so you can go and check out all of the things that she's standing for in more detail. 